you very much for the opportunity to be here in Killarney uh, on this beautiful January morning. And uh, I guess when I first got the email from Vern, I think it was Vern that invited me, right? Uh, he said, would you like to speak in our church on December 22nd of 2017? I thought, wow, those guys are organized. Killarney Mennonite, I mean, they're booking speakers a year ahead and stuff. And I said, you know, we may be going away, but I'll try and schedule that in and stuff. So anyway, so I was, I was glad that I, I didn't have to wait all the way till December to be here with you uh, this morning. Well, I want to greet you this morning with uh, the passage that was read earlier, uh, parts of it at least. Uh... Okay. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, Here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It says this, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Uh, Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. For the living will take it to heart, for uh, sorrow is better than laughter. And uh, let's see, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. I'm just going to move a little microphone here, and so I'll be able to see what's coming up on the screen. (laughs) Okay, so anyway, the cheerful words of Solomon uh, for this January morning uh, reminds me of uh, just a few weeks back, Natalie and I were uh, in Quebec visiting her family, and we are certainly in the house of feasting, okay? Every day, I'll just move my microphone just a bit. Oh, sorry. There we go. Um, every day, it's, it's kind of like we're with a different family member and having these humongous feasts, you know, celebrating Christmas and anniversaries and that kind of thing. And uh, in the middle of all that, we had just uh, uh, presented our, our mission report in a uh, supporting church out there. And we're visiting various family members, and we're starting our first full week in La Belle Provence. And uh, Monday morning, my iPhone uh, gives me updates of, of what's happening on Facebook, and I noticed that there was a flurry of Facebook activity t- between my siblings. And uh, I thought, well, that's kind of unusual. But uh, anyway, when I checked further, I found out that the uh, care home where my mother was staying had been trying to get a hold of us regarding a turn in my mother's health. And uh, according to what they had said, it didn't seem really urgent. Um, these kind of calls happened almost once a week, you know, and so uh, we weren't too worried about it. The one thing was that they said, one thing they hadn't said before was that her heart rate was really high, and they were concerned about that. And, and usually it was kind of like, you know, she had fallen out of bed, or she had this issue and that issue and that kind of thing. So this was a little bit unusual. But uh, my two sisters went to visit my mother the next day, and things seemed to be okay. So we're like, okay, well, life goes on. We continued on with our visit in Quebec. Well, the day after, Wednesday afternoon, I again noticed a flurry of Facebook activity. And... Um, Uh, when I checked, uh, one of my sisters sent me a text and said, hey, are you aware of the communication that's happening? I said, well, not really. We're busy visiting family uh, in Quebec there and and, uh, and so on. And uh, so when I checked, basically what had happened was the care home had given my mother only a few hours to live, and all my siblings were making a beeline to be at her bedside to say uh, their farewells. And uh, the, uh, the two nights before Christmas, the night of December 22nd, my mother took her last breath. And if you don't believe in life after death, I would invite you to, to uh, we've actually posted the video of my mother's funeral uh, online. And my sister and my niece had the, the opportunity that the, uh, they almost described it as holy ground, being at her side when she went from this life into the next. And, and my sister described just before she passed, 
It's like her eyes open and she, like she was seeing the other side. And there's this look on her face of excited recognition of what she had been anticipating all those years of her life. And this morning, I would ask you, when your moment comes, when it's time to pass from this life into the next, what will you see? Will, you, uh, will your eyes open with joyous excitement, seeing the Savior you've been looking forward to all these years? Or will he say, depart from me, I never knew you? If you don't have your peace with God, I would urge you to make today the day of salvation, that you would uh, make things right with God. I'd been reading through the Psalms, and the morning after my mother passed, uh, this was the Psalm I read. I read Psalm 49, and verse 15 jumped out at me. It says, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. And then there's that big uh, Hebrew word, selah, which is basically, uh, I don't know if scholars exactly know what that means, but it's kind of like pause and think about this for a minute, you know? And, uh, and so as we reflected on my mother's passing, my sister, uh, I talked to her just yesterday, and she said, I was so glad to be there with her when she passed, because now I know that, that what was left, the body, that's just, you know, that, that's just the shell. The spirit has gone to be with the Lord. Paul says, absent from the body is present with the Lord. And normally, we don't like talking about death. And I this is kind of a heavy introduction right at the start of a sermon here and stuff. But uh, it'll, it'll get hopefully a little bit lighter. Uh, but, but death is something that many of us fear. And so much of our life is spent avoiding it. I mean, think of the, the efforts we go to to try and look young and to try and avoid the inevitable in our lives. Often our life is linear. You know, it starts with infancy and goes on to youthfulness and adulthood and, and retirement and old age. And, 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 you know, if you look really carefully, you know, it's passing into eternity. Well, actually, we, we don't really think about that so often. In our culture, youth is the ultimate we want to look young, we want to feel young, we want to stay young. You know, you look at all the ads, the different commercials on uh, TV and so on, and, and just the, the youthfulness is the big, uh, you know, focus in our world. Well, a uh, short time after my mother passed away, we changed our flights, uh, brought to, and we flew home earlier than we'd anticipated. Um, and as we were flying, I just finished my afternoon nap. Uh, according to Natalie, my dear wife, she said my snoring had been louder than the jet engines on the 737 we were on. Well, she didn't exactly say that, but she said it was, that she could hear it louder than she could hear the jet engines. To me, it was the same thing, and it was louder, <laughs> louder than Narnia. But uh, after I woke up, I had time to sit and to pray and to meditate. And I, as I reflected on my mother's life and the brevity of life in general, it occurred to me the wisdom of living life backwards. Now, we were kind of joking around before as the service started. Maybe we should start the service with the benediction, you know, and that kind of thing. But, uh, but rather than starting life like we so often do and with adulthood being the big focus of what we do, why don't we focus on what's inevitable, that, that one day, you know, we're going to be going home and then living our life backwards, like looking at where we're going and then living in light of that inevitability. When we think about the concept that if we have a relationship with Christ, we're going to be, get to be with him forever. You know, that, can, that will affect our everyday life. 
rather than starting life and just living from day to day, if we look at the end and work our way back, it gives direction and focus in our lives. And it can be in many different areas of our lives. And I mean, take, for example, finances, right? If you just live day to day kind of thing, then when you hit retirement, you're going to be in for a little bit of a shock, you know? I mean, unless you strike it rich, you know, win the lottery or something. A young man asked an old rich man how he made his money. And the old guy fingered his uh, worsted wool vest and said, Well, son, it was 1932, the depth of the Great Depression. I was down to my last nickel. I invested that nickel in an apple. Now, I know there's some computer geeks here, so I need to explain. He invested it in a piece of fruit, okay? Just thought I'd explain that, okay? I spent the... I spent the entire day polishing that apple, and at the end of the day, I sold the apple for 10 cents, okay? The guy made a a great return on investment, right? Sold it for 10 cents. The next morning, I invested those 10 cents into two apples. I spent the entire day polishing them and and sold them at 5 p.m. for 20 cents. I continued this system for a month, and by the end of that time, I had accumulated a dollar and 37 cents. Then my wife's father died and left us $2 million. (laughs) Well, joking aside, having enough to retire on isn't going to just happen. It's going to mean starting at the end saying, okay, you know, I want to have, you know, I need to have this much to live on. And then preparing now in our working years to prepare for those, uh, those times. In our health as well. I mean, if, if we want to live into our 70s and 80s and be healthy, you know, it's not going to happen by just starting to eat healthy and exercise when we're 67, okay? It means starting now and taking care of the bodies that God has given to us. And generally, January is when we kind of start our New Year's resolutions and we start doing all this stuff. And I mean, in the Manitoba climate, typically, that is quite a challenge. Spiritually as well, preparing for that day when we meet the Lord. How does that affect our lives now? How do we prepare for that day? David, uh, in Psalm 37, talked about the day that he was going to meet the Lord. He says, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Hopefully that encourages uh, those here that are worried, you know, my age is nothing before the Lord, okay? Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor, Selah. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. So those are the words of David from Psalm 39. Moses also talked about the same thing. He said, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations, Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Awesome song written about that. I don't know if you guys know it. Uh, You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass, which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it's cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. God sees everything, even those secret things in our lives. 
for all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a, a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, well, my mom made it to 84, you know. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to realize that there's a day coming, a day of, an, of, of accounting coming that we need to be preparing for. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Our days are numbered. We just don't know what the number is. Our days are numbered. Some wise fellow says, our days are numbered. If you don't believe me, check a calendar, you know. I didn't think that was very funny either. Um, but <laughs> in Ecclesiastes 12, Solomon is, is reflecting on his life. Now, you remember Solomon, right? I mean, the wisest man that ever lived. He had 700 wives. He was a big farmer, had 300 combines, you know, and, uh, and that kind of thing. But he, but he says in Ecclesiastes 12, he talks to the youth. He says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. Anybody here in difficult days today? Anybody living difficult days? Okay, three of you, okay. Uh, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. You know, folks, the time to seek God and get to know him is when we're young because that builds the, the, the foundation, the, the path of our life. And then we can just kind of walk in that relationship through our days. Solomon wraps it up. He says in verse 13 of Ecclesiastes 12, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So Solomon reflected on his life and said, you know what? The time to get right with God is when we're young and build that relationship with him going forward. Peter talked about it as well, the brevity of life. He says, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and, it and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You know, our human bodies, they're fleeting. They're, they're you know, kind of like the grass that wither away. But God's word and lives invested in that word and in that God endure forever. Paul was a man who looked at that destination. He said uh, in his writings, we make it our aim to please him. He lived his life aiming for that day when he was going to meet the Lord. And at the end of his life, he writes in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. So his number, the number of his days was getting pretty low, you know. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. I hope that when we reach our end, we can say that as well. I've fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. And he looks to the other side and he says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. He looked at the end of his life, and then he looked back and said, you know, Lord, I have walked with you. And it, 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 that, that destination, that target that he was aiming for all his life uh, certainly gave him direction and focus in his life. Living life backwards, seeing where we're going, and then living today in light of that. You say, well, how do we do that? How do we live life backwards, okay? It doesn't mean like, you know, you go to college, you wear your shirt backwards or anything nerdy like that kind of thing, but it means living in communication with the creator of the world. 
uh, step one, and, and I'm just going to give you three steps, and uh, this is pretty basic stuff, but uh, anyway, so it, perhaps by way of reminder this morning, uh, but the first thing is to maintain regular communication with the author of life. Does anybody know 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17? Anybody have it memorized? It's an easy one to memorize, okay? Uh, do you remember, like, in vacation Bible school, we used to get awards for memorizing those verses and stuff? This is, this is a good one. Jot this one down, because this is a good one. You'll get really easy points. Three words. Pray without ceasing, okay? That, that's pretty easy, right? Right? Uh, we can all memorize it. Say it with me. Pray without ceasing, okay? I mean, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. Just as, as normally as we breathe, you know, our daily, you know, we don't kind of think, okay, now I've got to breathe. You know, it, it just kind of happens, right? And that's how our relationship with our Lord needs to be as well, that we're just in continual communication with the author of life, the God of the universe. Keep in regular communication with him. Pray without ceasing. Have that communication, that linked-in relationship with our God. Secondly, if we want to live life backwards, living our lives wisely as God would desire us to, guard your input sources. Guard what you're allowing into your life. Uh, the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 4.23, a fairly familiar verse, says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. We need to stand guard over our thoughts, over what we allow into our minds and into our hearts, because that's what's going to flow out from us. As we look at our world, the input that the world offers is one of immediate gratification. You know, not, nothing like this living life backwards stuff. It's just kind of like, you know what, just live for yourself. The pursuit of pleasure, the avoidance of pain, just live for yourself. We kind of talked about that a bit in Sunday school. Pursuit of pleasure, avoidance of pain. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys ever catch the Jack Van Impey program. I mean, he's a pretty interesting character. Some people think he's crazy. Once in a while, he says some interesting things. Uh, I was watching on November 20th, and he says, uh, a bit of a blanket statement that uh, hopefully is not true of Clarny Mennonite Church. He said, Christians don't know what they believe, so they tend to believe anything. Christians, don't, you know, and sometimes that's the case. We, we don't know what this world teaches, and so we're kind of swayed by the world's uh, philosophies. Uh, we were just uh, meeting with a couple of other couples on Friday, uh, some real uh, brainy folks, and, uh, and, and I love the statement of one of our friends said, he said, I'm glad to be a Christian because at least I have a standard to live by. You know, and I thought, wow, we don't often think of it that way. You know, we just, you know, maybe have a different view of Scripture. But, you know, as God's people, he has given us directions on how to live. We don't have to just be swayed by the latest crazy things of the world. He's given us directions. He's given us a way to live. But I think of so many in our day and age that there's this pressure from culture, from, from media, from society to think a certain way and, and how uh, perhaps our youth... Uh, maybe don't understand God's design for marriage. And so they get swayed by the, by the world's philosophy. The, the, the latest craze, as you're probably aware, is the whole LGBT philosophy. And, and the youth are just being pressured by this in schools and, and that kind of thing. And I think of some of our staff at camp. I was talking with one of our young people, not a turtle, at one of our other camps. And I was talking about my concern for the church and for these so-called Christian schools where this, this uh, worldly philosophy is just coming in like a flood and stuff. And and just how, like, how disturbing that, that is. And this young man said to me, oh, I, I don't take such a conservative view of marriage, you know. And I thought, well, buddy, what does God's word say, you know? 
This is our source of direction. This is our source of guidance. It's not a matter of taking a conservative or less conservative view on marriage. Uh, in the video, Tony Evans talked about outsourcing parenting. And uh, I wonder how often that is uh, a tendency as well. Uh, there's this trust in the school system to, to teach those young children. But when the schools are teaching these young children to explore things that, well, anyway, I won't go into details kind of thing, that's very disturbing. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you followed the uh, things in Ontario, but uh, uh, recently a law was passed just in the last month or so. If I told you what grade oneers in Ontario will be taught, and that would be my last invitation to speak here, okay? I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, not that I want to encourage you to find out what they're being taught, but it's very, very uh, disturbing, very heartbreaking. I think of the words of Jesus in uh, Matthew 18. The disciples came to him and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were always talking about who is the greatest, right? And Jesus called a little child to him, set, in the midst, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humble, humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But then listen to verse 6. What a warning. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. And I think of these children in grade one in Ontario and the things they're going to be taught at just the very disturbing, very, uh, yeah, very unhealthy things that are going to be taught. And Jesus said, you know what? If, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better if this big honking piece of stone were put around your neck and you're just tossed into Lake Erie or something like that, you know? Uh, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, plug it out and cast it from you. Kind of gross. <laughs> or it's better you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Very disturbing words there. But just a warning that, you know, if our life, if what we're, if our conduct is causing people to to live in destructive ways, there's going to be an accounting coming. And, uh, and I just, you know, think of these, like I say, these children in grade one, and, and perhaps some of this is coming into Manitoba as well. I, I hope and pray not, but anyway, uh, just the disturbing stuff these children are being taught. I think of the universities, uh, said to be places of higher learning, places of critical thinking. But when those schools teach a lifestyle that God's word warns against and ostracize and reject and basically pick on anyone that doesn't bow to their ways, the school system is broken. You know, we live in a very broken nation. And I would urge those of you that are maybe in high school right now that are just kind of trying to find your path. I know you want to get through university and get onto your career making the big bucks, but I would urge you to spend at least a year in a Bible school. And I'm not talking about a wishy-washy liberal arts college. I'm talking about a Bible school where you're going to get a foundation as to what God's Word teaches and what this faith that we hold to is all about. Because when you step into the university and you say, I'm a Christian, it's like you're wearing a honking big bullseye, okay? And, uh, you know, aim will be taken at you. So be prepared before you step into that. I don't know if you watch the world news at all. I can handle it only in small dosages. But when the world tells you that Israel has no right to Jerusalem and that kind of thing. Oh, you know, there's no history to back this up. It's kind of like, 
Something is broken here, folks. Something is really messed up. Our world has lost their moral compass. When our media no longer tells us the news, but they twist that news or, or actually you know, invent the news, maybe even to uh, create the news to achieve their own agenda, our system is broken. And if you're uh, trusting the media, if, you're, if your source of information is to flick on the news at 6 o'clock, 5.30 or whatever, and that's your view of what's going on in the world, my friend, you are getting a very distorted view of what's happening. Our media, uh, bless their hearts, I mean, I, I hope they're trying their best, but it seems like there's an agenda that's, that's being uh, driven, uh, and, and we've certainly seen it uh, in our country and, uh, of course, in the States as well. When the media use their power to pressure leaders to think in a certain way and to attend events that mock God and his ways, our system is broken. I don't know if you noticed, I think the last time I spoke here was just before our provincial election, and the election was the next day. And um, CGOB in Winnipeg, um, I don't know how long their interview with the new premier was, but the only question that they asked him, or at least the only question they broadcast over the radio that they asked him, was not, what are you going to do with the mess, the financial mess that our province is in? What are you going to do about the flooding in western Manitoba? What are you going to do about the, uh, the crazy stuff going on in hydro and all that stuff? The only question they had for him was, are you going to attend the pride parade? Folks, our world is broken. You know, it's this pressure that you, as an elected leader, have to attend this thing whether you agree with it or not. I could talk about movies. You know, my mother used to say, movies are evil. You know, she didn't exactly say that, but that was kind of the gist of it. And probably most of you grew up in the same sort of thing. Natalie's mother was a little more diplomatic. She said, when you go to watch a movie, if you go to watch a movie, ask yourself, what's the message in that movie? What's the message they're trying to portray? Because every movie is, present, is recorded, is prepared with a purpose. What is the message? Folks, if we're not viewing our schools, our media, our government with an eye of, well, skepticism, we're going to get swept away like the rest of our world. If we're trusting blindly in what, you know, CNN or CBC or whatever is feeding us day after day, we're going to have a very biased view of the world. Jesus says we as his people need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You know, as I was thinking about our country, and uh, Natalie's been studying counseling, so I was trying to figure out what is going on in our country. Like, what, what is the deal here? Um, I think psychologists would call Canada... That are, would diagnose us as having a dissociative disorder, okay? It's, it's basically what happens when, it's almost like having a split personality, okay, is what's going on. Uh, it's, it's okay to do this, but not this. So it, say, for example, like, uh, if you're a member of parliament, it, it's okay if you go to church, but just don't let that affect anything in government, you know, that you know, two different worlds, and it's kind of like, I mean, you just can't live that way, right? It's, it's a mental illness, you know? Um, I don't know if you followed, like I said, the Ontario politics. A 19-year-old young man uh, was elected just recently to Ontario's legislature. His name is Sam Oosterhoff, and uh, Sam grew up in a, in a Christian home, attending church, uh, very pro-life, and of course, as you can imagine, the media was, was at him like vultures kind of thing, like basically questioning uh, whether he thought homosexuality was a sin, and of course, he's... Uh, you know, why is he kind of dodged that and carried on? Well, in the picture uh, on the left there, you see Patrick Brown. Patrick Brown is the leader of the PC party in Ontario. And um, 
Oh, did I mention uh, Sam is 19 years old? He just got elected. Yeah, I think I mentioned that. Um, I was watching uh, Global News one morning, and they were interviewing Patrick Brown, uh, the PC leader. And uh, they said, you know, you've got this young MPP, member of the provincial parliament, and he goes to church, and he's pro-life and, and that kind of thing. He seems to believe the Bible. And they said, what, you know, how are you going to handle this? How are you going to handle this young man in his, you know, uh, conservative views? And I, and I wish I would have recorded his, uh, Patrick Brown's statement. The gist of it was, what he does on Sunday is his business as long as it doesn't affect the rest of his life. And that's the mental illness we live with in our country. It's kind of like we, we can do this, but as long as it doesn't affect the political correctness of our nation. And, and it, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a revelation moment for me because, you know, like I would see these government leaders that are members of so-called Christian churches, even Mennonite churches, and they're pushing through stuff that's so unbiblical, like abortion to the end of our country and stuff. And I'm like, what is going on, folks? What is going And it's kind of like, yeah, we live with this mental illness here in Canada. And, and if what I'm sharing doesn't disturb you and shock you, uh, either you're sleeping or, or maybe you're just go, you've kind of you know, drowned yourself in this stuff or, or I'm not sure what, you know. But uh, anyway, sorry, I, I know, you know, I want this message to be encouraging. We'll get to the encouraging part next here. But uh, anyway, this material, uh, very, very uh, disturbing. There's some research uh, that flies in the face of what we're taught here in Canada. And um, in uh, church news, I don't know if you guys ever catch church news on CGRB, but uh, the Pew Research Center reported last year that the congregations of Protestant churches in America were decreasing by up to a million people a year. Now, that's really disturbing, okay? The, the Protestant uh, churches in America decreasing by up to a million a year, just this mass exodus out of the churches. Canada's four largest mainstream Protestant churches have seen their membership cut in half since the 1960s, since the mid-60s, while the population of Canada has nearly doubled, okay? Uh, let me just kind of rephrase that. Basically, in Canada, our population from the mid-60s today, to today has doubled, but the attendance of the four Protestant churches in Canada has gone the opposite direction. Like, they're half of what they were in the mid-60s. So a study was done by the authors of Theology Matters, and they, they surveyed 2,225 churchgoers in Ontario and conducted interviews with 29 clergy and 195 congregants. And you can find their results in the Review of Religious Research. And the researchers compared the beliefs and practices of congregations and clergy of mainline, mainline Protestant churches whose attendance was growing with churches that were declining, okay? And on all measures, the growing churches held more firmly to the traditional beliefs of Christianity and were more diligent in things like prayer and Bible reading, okay? And I'll just kind of summarize this so you can kind of put this in your back pocket and take it home. If you want your church to grow, here's the five things. According to the study, five things that need to happen. Again, this kind of fits in with the, the three points uh, that I'm kind of working on. According to the research, if you want your church to grow, you need to, number one, share your faith, okay? In declining churches, churches where attendance was going down, only 50% of the pastors said it's very important to encourage non-Christians to become Christians, okay? Whereas in churches that were growing, 100% of pastors said that's very important, okay? So number one, share your faith. Pastors, 100% of the growing churches said, yeah, we need to share our faith, you know? Whereas in churches that were declining, only half of the pastors felt that to be the case. The second thing that needs to happen, the pastors need to be in the word, okay? 
in growing churches, 71% of pastors were in the Bible every day. Now, I thought, you know, that's actually pretty low. You know, 71% of pastors in the word every day. What about the other 29%? What are they doing, you know? Uh, but compared to the declining churches, only 19% of pastors were in the word every day. So pastors need to be in the word. Well, the rest of us are not off the hook. <laughs> Parishioners need to be in the word. In growing churches, 46% of the people uh, read the Bible once a week. Now, again, I thought that was really low. Like, I mean, you know, uh, well, no, I better not ask for a show of hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I'm sure, I'm sure in Clarny Mennonite, it's 100% of you that read the Bible at least once a week, okay? Um, at least I would sure uh, hope so. But in growing churches, 46% of the people read the Bible once a week. In declining churches, uh, only 26% read the word uh, once a week. Uh, not only be in the word, but to believe the word, okay? Uh, let, me, uh, let me present a statement and then tell me if you uh, agree with this or not. Jesus rose from the dead with a real flesh and blood body, leaving behind an empty tomb, okay? How many of you would agree that Jesus rose from the dead with a real flesh and blood body, leaving behind an empty tomb? Does anybody believe that here? Okay, okay, probably the vast majority. In churches that were growing, 93% uh, 93 of clergy and 83% of worshipers would agree with that statement. Uh, whereas in declining churches, 67% of worshipers, 56% of clergy uh, would agree to that statement. So we need to believe what the word says. And finally, uh, believe in prayer. In churches that were growing, every one of the pastors said, we uh, believe that God performs miracles in answer to prayer. And 90% of the church attendees believe that as well. Whereas in the churches that were declining, only 80% of the congregants believe that, and only 44% of the clergy agreed to that statement. And I know that's a lot of statistics and stuff. That's a lot of information. But the point is, you want Clarny Mennonite Church to grow? Uh, tell people about Jesus. Be in the Word. You know, be in prayer. Believe that God answers prayer and believe what God's Word says. This is all scriptural. James uh, says in James 5, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We were just at uh, Union Gospel Mission yesterday and uh, I don't know if you guys have ever met Greg Stetsky, the executive director that's just retiring from his time with Union Gospel. But talk about a man that prayed, you know, uh, overseeing seven ministries and, and uh, you know, the financial challenges of running a ministry in this day and age. And, and the first thing that Greg would do when faced with the situation, let's pray. You know, he would just pray into whatever was coming their way. Uh, James goes on in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. We need to be people of prayer. Paul writes about that as well. He says, therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Boy, are we praying for our government our government needs our prayers. Amen? Amen. Oh, we need to pray for our government. Uh, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to be people of prayer. I've been really encouraged watching... Um, well, I mean, America, who knows what's going on there, but it's just been interesting watching what is going on in America. And I've been encouraged by how Franklin Graham has just rallied uh, people in every state to pray before the November election. And just, uh, like I say, I don't know what's going on there, but, uh, you know, strange things were happening in, 
America. And I don't know if you watched the inauguration or not, but uh, we just got just little snippets of it. But apparently one of the big things that Donald Trump is planning to do uh, as he comes into his presidency is ban uh, pre-shredded cheese. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, um, because he wants to make America great again. <laughs> yeah, so I, while we're in Quebec, someone said, Harold, you have a cheesy sense of humor. So, yeah. But friends, the only way to make America great, the only way to make Canada great is to get on our faces before our God and say, Lord, have mercy on our land. Mike Pence, the, um, the vice president, uh, put his hand on this verse in the Bible as he, um, as he became the vice president. Uh, it's the story of Solomon again, and they have just dedicated the temple, and God speaks to Solomon. He says, um, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. My friend, we as God's people need to do this. We need to humble ourselves to pray to seek God's face and turn from the ways that, that the world would have us to go to, to say, you know what? We're not going to live in this stuff anymore. We're not going to be swayed by this political correct nonsense. God has given us directions. We don't have to live in this craziness of our world. Then God says, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. Isn't that great? First uh, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promises to forgive our sin and he promises to heal our land. Folks, our land needs healing. Uh, we talk about America being a mess, but oh, I mean, Canada, what a mess. Lord help us. Uh, as I think of how to live life backwards, as I wrap things up, I know the soup is going to, is probably burning downstairs kind of thing, you know. And by the way, if the, if the soup burns and stuff and nothing's edible, I'll take you all out for a burger. Um, I don't know how far a burger is going to go with you all, but uh, anyway... But uh, how to live life backwards. Uh, maintain regular communication with the author of life. As, as natural as breathing, you know, just having that communication with God, that continual awareness that God is with us. Pray without ceasing. Secondly, guarding, um, guarding our input sources. You know, wa watching what we watch. Being careful what we listen to, what we feed into our hearts and minds. And the third thing, I'm just going to touch on this and then wrap it up is to fill up with God's Word, to fill up with God's Word. If you have never read the Bible through, I would urge you to make 2017 the year that you do. Okay, a bit of a poem there for you. I'm not a poet. I didn't even know it. But uh, uh, it'll take you about half an hour a day to read the Bible from cover to cover. And there's some dry stuff, okay? You get into Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It's just tough sledding, you know? But uh, my, my goal is to read through the Bible every five years. And uh, uh, our mission, uh, when I was still the Canadian Sunday School Mission, gave me a MacArthur Study Bible. And uh, I've, like I say, I've read through the Bible many times. But with a Bible, uh, a study Bible, it's just, there's so many of those obscure passages that are like, what is this about? All of a sudden, it came to life like never before. So I'd urge you, if you've never read the Bible through, make this the year that you do. And, uh, and if you've got a study Bible, it'll just kind of illuminate those passages that, uh, that maybe we're not that familiar with. 
folks living life backwards, seeing where we're going. You know, eventually, if we've got a relationship with Christ, we're going to meet him face to face. So how does that affect our life now? And as I look at the world events, the things that are happening in, happening in Israel, the things that are happening in Washington, around the world, I mean, the trumpet call has got to be soon, right? I mean, the Bible says the trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, and that's why our church will be the first out of here, then Christ will rise first, you know. Um, but are you ready for the trumpet to sound? You know, are you ready to, to, when that upward call comes, are you ready to meet Jesus face to face? But maybe like my mother, maybe that, that meeting with the Lord will come in death. Are you ready? You know, we never know when our time is up. We never know when it's going to be our time to go. As we look at our world, and, and in the last year or two, there's been more Christians that have been killed for their faith, for our faith, than ever before in the history of the world. In the other 1900 and some odd years, uh, there's been so many people that have died for their faith. If that comes to our door, if that comes to our shores, are we willing to die for our faith? Living life backwards, saying, you know what? I mean, Jesus died for me. I am willing to live for him. As we go through this, this year of 2017, we're a couple of weeks, three weeks into it already, but uh, where do we want to be at the end of this year in our walk with the Lord? Uh, maybe with our finances, with our relationships and stuff. Now's the time to kind of set that direction and, and focus on that. Where do we want to be five years from now? What do we need to change now to get there? Where do we want to be 10 years from now? Today is the day we need to make those choices to change that direction that we need uh, to make as we prepare for the life after this one. Shall we pray? Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word that directs us, that guides us, and especially uh, as we see the world changing so rapidly, it's becoming very clear that your word, um, yeah, it's not very politically correct. And so help us as your people to be faithful to you, even if it means giving our lives for you. Help us to be bold in the face of this uh, political correctness, this, this wave of, uh, of rebellion, rebellion against you that just seems to be flooding uh, across our nation and, and just, uh, yeah, flooding our world. Lord, help us to be people who live your way in obedience to you. Thank you for this church, and I just pray that you would help them to shine brightly in this community. Thank you for the impact they have made over the years and how, uh, how great an impact they've also had at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp and, and other places. And we just pray your special blessing on Pastor Danny, on his family, and in all the church leadership that you would do a mighty thing in this church and through this church. We thank you for it, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.